welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 257, Adversity May Not Be a Bad Thing, an interview with Susie Finkbeiner, coming to you on Thursday, July 29th, 2021. Susie and I specifically had a plan to do a podcast episode that was all about adversity and stress and ways that we can work around it. I think a lot of us thought that by the time we got to this summer, uh, a lot of our life would be way closer to back to normal. And I know several people in a couple of different countries who started living a somewhat normal life again because COVID rates were down, the government had opened things up, and then, you know, rates went back up and things got shut down and conferences got canceled and people got sick. So there is still a lot of things stressing us out. There's a lot of things stressing me out that aren't even pandemic related. And I went through a lot of stress, additional stress, thinking that I had been getting sick when it turns out they were all stress related symptoms. And as I started calming myself down, the symptoms would go away. And then when I started getting stressed out again, they would come back. And that's when I was like, okay, you have got to find a way to permanently just calm and relax yourself and find some tools that are going to help deal with life in a way that doesn't adversely affect your mind or your body. I'm one of those writers who cannot be creative or productive when I'm super stressed. So not writing was stressing me out even more and making things worse. Raise your hand if you can relate. <laughs> so Susie and I were really hoping that we could have a conversation and offer some ideas and suggestions, talk about things that have been working or not working in our lives, and give you some more tools, hopefully some things that will help you to um, reduce the stress in your life, feel like you're happier, calmer, more creative and productive would be great, right? And I really hope that you find some tools in this episode or that things that we talk about remind you of things that you know that work for you. And I ask you to please share this with the other writers or, or other stressed out people that you think would get some great help from this because we really want to help people feel better and you know work through the things going on in our lives, the things that we can and can't control in a way that has all kinds of health written all over it, mental health, emotional health, physical health, spiritual health. And that's why we did this episode. So here you are. I hope that you get a lot of, a lot of information and, and help out of it. In the meantime, here we go. Let's talk to Susie. Today's guest is Susie Finkbeiner. Susie is a CBA bestselling author of All Manner of Things, which was selected as a 2020 Michigan Notable Book, and Stories That Bind Us, as well as A Cup of Dust, A Trail of Crumbs, and A Song of Home. She serves on the Fiction Readers Summit Planning Committee, volunteers her time at Ada Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and speaks at retreats and women's events across the country. Susie and her husband have three children and live in West Michigan. Welcome, Susie. Thank you so much for having me again, Kitty. This is so great to see you. You were here last June on episode 202. 
Yes. That was fun. That was fun. It was. Yeah. I, I have to say there is this. Um, so I had told you uh, last year when I read the first book of yours that I've read, I'm like, oh, I had this kind of beautiful literary feel, which for whatever reason, I just wasn't expecting from from just uh, I, I, I didn't think that Ravel published anything other than kind of more genre fiction, you know, romance, romantic suspense and stuff like that. I'm like, this is kind of literary feeling. And then we had this great discussion about, um, let's see, you were helping us to um, uh, look at writing as uh, to recognize that we may be using writing to process our life, which is good, or to avoid our life, which maybe <laughs> is not as good, but that it's a noble pursuit. And I'm like, oh, a noble pursuit. I like it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I um, definitely hear the optimism, the pre-pandemic optimism in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's part of what we're kind of we're, we're kind of going to bounce off of that and talk about um, writing in the middle of difficult or adverse circumstances, because that's something that even though, so you and I are talking in May, um, people will actually hear this. The episode will come out in August because your brand new book will have come out just a few weeks before. Um, but people are still struggling to sort of get back to well, and, and we don't know, like, will it be our normal life or just a new version of life? And, and the change has been difficult. <laughs> yeah, it has been. And I, I think that um, I, I get to be in a lot of creative spaces online, not so much in person right now, but yeah, um, a lot of creative spaces and we're all struggling creatively. Um, and, and just, uh, we've learned and I've learned how to, to, maintain that part of my life, even during these crazy times. Yeah. 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 It's been, um, I don't know. I don't want to say, you know, it's been harder for this group or easier for that group, or, I mean, everybody mm -hmm. has their own moments of the, the, the life that we're in right now that are more difficult, some less difficult. We, you and I talked a, a little bit about our own, you know, this isn't so hard for me. This actually is hard for me, uh, before yeah. we started with the recording, but um, like my one friend, Stephanie, she is a total extrovert. She gets all of her energy from being around people and she's single and lives alone. All of her kids are grown. So this has been horrible for her. She actually is going to, um, now that her area has opened up, she's going to, um, go get like a two day a week job at, I can't remember where she said, um, Chick-fil-A, I think because she's just like, I just need to soak up people again. And I think it'll mm -hmm. help my writing to be like more, powerful and impassioned again. And I was like, well, yep. that's so good that you know yourself, you know? Yeah. I think that's very insightful. And I, I do think, I think writers, we do have that, that intuition about ourselves. Like we're, we're pretty self-aware, you know? And yeah. I, I think that, that that's a really good self-awareness for your friend, because um, as for me, I'm like away from people. Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love people. I love people, but I need to recharge on my own. Yeah. And you were telling me beforehand, so we, we want to talk about your new book as well, but we're going to talk about it kind of in this context as well. And one of the things that you were telling me is that um, you didn't tell me exactly what your life was like, you know, pre-pandemic, but then you were in your house with four other humans and still trying to do your job and meet your deadlines. And I'm assuming that was super tough. It was I mean, pre-pandemic. 
I would write in the space between dropping the kids off at school and picking them up. So that's a good chunk of time. That's a good chunk. Yeah, it is. And neglecting home or housework at that time and all of the things. That's what you should do for your work, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Take one for the team and let your house be messy. But, um, But then, you know, overnight, you know, we got the the phone call in the middle of the night saying no more school. <laughs> and we wow. thought maybe a couple weeks, but, um, and then, you know, fortunately my husband was able to work. He was an essential worker. And so he was able to go and work, um, and safely work fortunately. Good. Oh, good. But, um, but we have a very small house and very few places to hide. And so, <laughs> as I was telling you before, I would I would say, all right, kids, I'm going to the car. And so I'd sit in the back seat of the car and I had everything set up so I could type and work in my car until it got way too hot. And I was afraid of dying in my car. Yeah, that'd be bad. <laughs> yeah. So then it, it became a situation of when this door, this bedroom door is closed, unless you're bleeding or the house is on fire. Yeah. Stay out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That deadline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, um, it was, it was difficult because emotionally, you know, there are so many things that factor in. It's not just space and time. It's, it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual, you know, so much yeah. was going on all at once. And yeah. I know I'm not alone in that experience. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, just trying to figure out like I write romantic comedies. So should I stop watching the news? I'm like, I don't think I should stop watching the news during a pandemic, but Ooh. now I'm not feeling very cheerful or romantic. So this is kind of like, it was just hard to figure Okay. So should I watch the news, then watch a romantic comedy, then go to work, or should I go to work, then watch the news? Like it was just trying to juggle. Like, how am I going to manage what's in my head? Mm-hmm. and how it affects yeah. emotions and okay so so let's talk about let's talk about you but let's talk about the book first because this is the book that you were writing during this period and then you can kind of tell us like this is what I did and this worked and that didn't work or that sort of things that sound good sounds great okay all right so um by the time the episode airs congratulations you have a new book out thank you <laughs> <laughs> okay so tell us about the nature of small birds The Nature of Small Birds is the story of a family that adopted a Vietnamese daughter. In 1975, 3,000 Vietnamese children were airlifted from from their home country to, to adoptive homes in Australia, Canada, and the United States. So this was at the very end of the U.S. involvement in that war. And this is a story of one of those families, um, fictionalized, of course. Yeah. So it, it takes part in 1975 around the time of the adoption, 1988, when Min, who is also called Mindy, when she's a teenager and then 2013, when she's an adult and it's told from the perspective of her adoptive family and the whole narrative points back to her. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. And I'm just noticing for the first time, now that we're talking about like the difficulties of life changes, I'm like, well, I wonder if all these difficulties in your life made it easier to write about difficult 
uh, lives in your characters? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think it was, there was some, in, there is, it, it did help in some ways. Um, you know, part of the narrative that 2013 is more about an elderly father who is letting his kids go, like learning to release, you know, and here my kids were, were it literally in my face all day. Right. And I kept remembering they're only here for in this house for a limited amount of time. And, you know, it was a constant reminder. They're going to leave the nest eventually they are. And I have to let them go. I have to be okay with that and know that they're not leaving forever. It's just a relocation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, just, just having to consider the upheaval politically and socially of the, of even the seventies, not just the sixties, but the seventies had quite a bit too. Right. Um, and just navigating that while we're navigating, I mean, it was crazy around here yeah. <laughs> last year. Yeah. Um, not just pandemically, but, um, in so many other ways. Yeah. So, um, just that, that was a really, it was good. It was a good touchstone for me to kind of feel those emotions and go back and write. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I I'm just wondering, how, did, did any of it make you feel like there was almost a, a sense of deja vu with talking about some of these time periods and being in this weird uh, time period that like when I think of, oh, you know, pandemic of 1918, I'm like, yeah, that was like a million years ago. And then I'm like, well, that's probably what they thought when they were like, oh yeah, this probably won't be much, this, this thing that they're calling a pandemic because pandemics are really from like the 1800s and we're in the 1900s now. So we probably have it under control. And I'm thinking, I wonder if everybody feels this way every time they think, oh, well, we'll be better at it this time. <laughs> Well, I think that there, and I hope you'll allow me to use this word. I think that um, contemporary people, whatever era they're in, they have a, a little bit of arrogance yeah. to think that they've got, they've got a, a better knowledge, a better handle. I mean, we, we look at people who are alive in, in before in BC. And we're like, well, we're smarter than them. They built the pyramids <laughs> yeah. without computers. Yeah. Okay. So no, we're not smarter than they are or were. Um, we just have different technology. And I think that that, um, it, I had a college professor one time when we were um, studying um, all's well, the ends well. And adversity is a major theme in that play. And he said, adversity knocks you down. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because you learn from it and you have to grow from it and you are humbled by it. And I think that that um, when we go through something where we are, we are confronted by our limits, um, confronted by our own mortality, confronted by everybody in the world is facing the exact same thing all at once it's, it's not, it knocked us down and it wasn't necessarily bad for us to encounter adversity. Yeah. I don't want to say that it wasn't a bad thing that people were sick and died. Don't right. want to say that at all. Yeah. But the fact that we were confronted with our own limitations, that is a good thing. It keeps yeah. us humble. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, I and think- it helps us figure out things that we didn't realize we could be creative enough and smart enough to rise to the occasion. Exactly. Exactly. And how much we need each other, even if we're, we're, we're providing for each other from miles away behind doors, you know, or from behind the mask, we, we need each other. We need that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been hoping that, um, the social upheaval that, um, well, you know, I particularly see it in, in the United States. I, I'm I'm American, but I'm living in Sweden. So uh, everything that I am getting, you know, is from various news outlets. But I'm thinking, okay, when I lived in the States, everything I got was from some news outlet. So, um, but I, I look at it and I think this is horrible. Like, how can we be such horrible people? And then I think, but hopefully uh, it will, it will kind of settle down, you know, like, um, like, siblings fighting like you get into a big fight about something that you know maybe not important or maybe something important and then you know kids get in so many fights i can remember all the ones with my siblings um (laughs) but there's a point at which you you start remembering that okay this is somebody i love though and and i don't want to be the mean person and i don't want them to be the person who's crying i don't want to be the person who's crying while they're the mean person and it does help you to to, to grow and become a better person. And I'm just hoping, you know, that that's what's going to come out of the, the social upheaval that we have right now. I, I guess hope time so. I hope that I hope it doesn't take a major tragedy to unify us again. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say what side I, Right. Relate to more or anything. In fact, I'm very middle of the road. Yeah. But um, it just it grieves me that that there has been so much separation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you know, but but I I have to hold on to hope. I have to because I can't I can't make it day to day without it. Yeah. And so what do you think are some of the things that made um, writing over the last year the most difficult? Do you think um, that a lot of it was the way that you internalized so many things going on around you? Do you think that it was mostly health related and then turned to other things or or just the day to day of suddenly having all these people in the same house with you um, that you don't nobody probably felt like they really had enough space to be you know, have the life that they were used to living? You know, I think it's a little bit of all of it, but I think the the hardest thing, and this is something I I plan to talk about in a little bit, but the hardest thing was the cynicism. Um, That's not a natural state for me to to live in. Yeah. Um, But I could feel it trying to intrude on my heart. And that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing for me. Um, I know some people enjoy being cynical, but it, it suffocates me. And so, um, I had to be very intentional about squashing that and replacing it with hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I I think that you had some notes about, you know, things that you wanted to talk about. So feel free to to jump in and I don't want to guide the conversation too much because it sounded like you had some really interesting things that I definitely wanted you to share with everyone. So. Well, I, you know, I learned a lot about myself, not just as a person, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, all of those things, but I learned a lot about myself as a writer. And I know that, um, the people listening are creatives and, um, and so I feel, 
I feel like these are my people and I get them. Um, But there were some things that I learned how to cope as a creative during times like that (laughs) and this. Yeah. The very, like one of the most important things that I had to be really intentional about was deciding to have grace with myself. I think that as creatives, we were often told, if you're not creating every single day, then you're failing. Or if, if what, you know, and this is, this is more internal, but, but the whole perfectionism I'm sure that I am not even close to the only one here today who struggles with perfectionism. Yeah. Um, there's so many different things that, that we can use as a weapon against our own selves to punish ourselves when we think that we've missed the mark in any number of ways. And, and here's the thing. I, I was talking to my friend, Jocelyn Green, who's an author, and we were both and this, this space of being really hard on ourselves. And I remember, I don't even remember which of us said it, (laughs) but, um, we talked about how we're nice to each other. I'm nice to her. She's nice to me. And why can't we turn that inward? Why can't we, we use that, that kindness and grace and patience with ourselves. And so I, I had to I had to intentionally every day decide, okay, I didn't get the word count. It's okay. There's tomorrow. Or even if you don't do it tomorrow, you've got time. You're going to be fine. It's okay. Look for what you did well instead. And so I think that that's, that's something that in general, not just during adverse times, but in general, we just need to have more grace with ourselves Yeah, and it's a decision. It really is. So write it on a little sticky note and stick it somewhere. Just say, be nice to yourself because you're worth it. You are worth being kind too. That's true. Um, and can I just point out again, I mentioned it before we recorded, but the sign behind you, this is something that we need to think about in terms of, um, like you said, ourselves as, as well as the people around us. Uh, for people not watching on YouTube, it says kindness is not an act. It's a lifestyle. And I think that your, your idea of this lifestyle needs to extend to everyone in our lives, including ourselves. It's true. And, and I think that so often we're somewhere along the line, we get this idea that that's arrogance or self-centered. Um, I'm not talking about taking yourself on a cruise and leaving your family behind. (laughs) I'm not talking about that, but I, I'm not going to want to go on a cruise right now anyway. But, but I'm talking about just, you know, telling yourself it's okay. You're fine. You know, take a break. You're fine. You're going to be okay. And in giving ourselves the encouragement, we would give someone else. Yeah. I think that's great advice. It's hard to remember, but um, uh, one of the classes that I teach, I, I I remember that I have a bit in there about treat yourself the way that you would treat your best friend because you wouldn't yes. say the things to your best friend that you say to yourself. Oh, no, they wouldn't <laughs> want to be your friend anymore. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would want to be around me if I said things to them like I say to myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. 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 And, that's- and. Yeah, that's a hard one. I think that's that's the hardest thing on this list is yeah. is to be kind to yourself, but it pays off 
because the kinder you are to yourself and the more you fill yourself with kindness, the more that overflows into your other relationships. And yeah. Yeah. And I honestly feel like my writing is more, um, not to say even, um, I'm trying to think of like, what is the word that I mean? Um, like I, I can, my writing can't, it's supposed to be romantic comedy, but it can get quite bitter and sarcastic, which seems comedic at the moment. And then I read it later going, wow, I just remembered you were in a bad mood when you were <laughs> writing today. Um, so it, I think it also, you know, affects the quality of our creativity and the depth. I think you're onto something there. I really do. I think that when we are, you know, when we're so hard on ourselves and we're pushing so hard and we're, we're, we're just trying to force something that we need to kind of take a minute, you know, and, and just, just give yourself some encouragement and, yeah. and then it will, it will re be reflected in the work. It's for sure. How long do you think it took you? Um, uh, I don't know if you even remember specifically thinking about it in these terms, but uh, so you're, you're writing the book that's out now, you're writing this book during, um, you know, possibly one of the most difficult years of your life. Um, and uh, cer certainly, um, you know, from a social standpoint, not to say that, you know, you didn't have a, a terrible year in some other way, but, uh, and so how long do you think it took you for you to be thinking, okay, you know what, <laughs> I got to be nicer to myself in order for this to work. I, what do you think? You know, I, I think it was about in May last year when I just was like, I cannot keep beating myself up. I just can't because I had a deadline in two months and <sighs> And it was paralyzing. The unkindness to myself was paralyzing me. Yeah. And, and so I, it was in, intentional every day of me saying, you're okay. Remember to be nice. And of, of other people reminding me, be yeah. kind to yourself. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I, I, um, do book coaching and, um, different kinds of, um, group coaching and classes and different things. And one of the things that I was, uh, teaching one of my classes last year was to create some sort of affirmations list. And that word gets bandied about a lot. And so it means different things to different people. Um, but for me and what I was telling them, I said, you know, you can go and see what other people's like, just Google affirmations list, see what other people are saying. Um, I took a couple of bits from this and a couple of bits from that. And then I was like, okay, what can I say out loud every day that I can believe, um, even if it hasn't come to pass yet? And then, so for me, I was like, oh. And so I went through my Bible, all the highlighted places, and I tried to find the ones where I'm like, this is what I need to tell myself every day. You know, I'm an honest, sincere, and hardworking person, regardless of whether or not I fail or make that goal that I have today, that is the kind of person that I am in general. Um, uh, I, I try to let my manner of life show the gospel of Christ. I'm like, okay, that's something I can believe. And if I say it out loud every day, I'll, I'll be a lot more likely to remember not to like go off on people and do the whole people are stupid. Why are all people so stupid? You know, <laughs> at least I, I said it less, I think, <laughs> you know, so, um, creating something 
that is, um, and, and I took a, a lot of things out of the Bible because I were like, these are things that I believe that I am becoming. <laughs> so I can say it out loud. Other, some of other people's affirmations, you know, I am a successful and best-selling author. I'm like, well, somebody else's idea of successful, like I kind of don't really care that much about bestseller lists. So I'm like, that, that doesn't really ring true for me, which means that me saying it out loud every day, I was like, oh, that's not enough affirmation that works for me. You know, I want to say though, that what you said about yourself, about how you're sincere. Okay. That is, that is definitely a great word for you. You are a very <laughs> sincere person. Those things in the long run, those things matter infinitely more than a bestseller list. A bestseller list is a blip of time. Right. It really is. Sometimes just a single week. <laughs> it could be just one day. Um, right. But, but, but being kind to other people, being warm and generous and um, compassionate and having empathy, those, those don't end. <laughs> that's not a blip. That's, that's, yeah. that's who you choose to be. And um, I, I found myself really happy for the people in my life who don't care if I write another book, they don't care. I mean, they want me to, but if I don't, they're still going to love me. Yeah. They're still going to be here They're They don't care if I, I'm not famous cause I'm not, they don't <laughs> care. You know what they care about is me as a person. And, um, that kind of go, that leads right into the next thing that Good. Woo, transition nice. <laughs> um, is that, that not just creatives and not just during adverse times, but especially during adverse times, we have to have supports. We have to have support systems. Um, I, I discovered Marco Polo with my friend, Jocelyn Green. I, I just recently discovered it because of a friend in Australia. Yeah. It's fantastic. And um, just being able to, to record a video and then I can watch hers when I've got time. Um, I had a friend who, you know, Jocelyn lives in Iowa. I have a friend who was, who worst timing ever for her poor lady. She, she was studying in Scotland Oh wow! <laughs> during all of this. So I could keep in touch with her. I could keep in touch with some friends from church and and just being able to see somebody's face and hear their voice. Yes. No pressure. And, and it was just so lovely. And then also I joined a group called her novel collective and we're a group of authors who are, are trying to bring together readers, but we've become as authors, we've become a big support to each other. We do zooms. We were constantly texting and messaging um, just trying to encourage each other. And so those, th those things have given me life and, and spending, I've actually had more time alone with my husband over the last year, going for long walks oh, nice. or just going for a drive. Like we've <laughs> driven, we've been driving a lot and eating in the car, <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> but, um, having those people around you that, feed into you and, um, give you life. I'm not sure if I just froze. You did. Well, um, we'll wait for one second and then, um, okay. just remember you were saying that, yeah, people around you to give you life. So we'll just yeah. pause for a second and then you just repeat that and I'll cut it out. Okay. Just having people around you that give you life 
And, and, but here's the, the important part is not just that they support you, but that you support them. Um, I think that so often we think of, of the support group is just to like feed me. No, it is, it's supposed to be mutual. Um, and there will be times when there's unbalanced, when I need more support than Jocelyn. And then times when Jocelyn needs more support than I do, but it balances out. And, and when I'm sure that you can agree when you're supporting someone, encouraging someone, it boosts you, you know, it it makes you feel great. Like there's gotta be some chemical that just releases when you're cheering someone else on. And, and that's, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And, um, I am so grateful for the support that I have felt with friends and that I have been able to give to friends over the past year. And it really has become a lifeline to me and just, it is becoming a lifestyle, you know, of, of just checking in, making sure everybody's okay. Yeah. And cheering them on when they need it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because people can't hang out with live in-person people the way that they used to now, everybody has had to get used to, uh, zoom and Marco Polo, which is an app, by the way, if you're wondering what's Marco Polo, it's an app where you can just record short videos and send them to your friends. Um, it's wonderful. You should look it up. Um, but, uh, so suddenly all the people that I've left behind every time I move, I feel like it's just, um, it's just painful. You know, all those relationships that are left behind because most people, no matter how much they love me, it's way easier to go to lunch with a friend who lives down the street than to remember to, you know, oh, I should see what Kitty's up to and find a way that we can find a Zoom in two different time zones and that sort of thing. But now I'm talking to my friends in Australia. I'm talking to some friends in New Zealand in all sorts of places in the U.S. I'm like, this is wonderful. When people go back to their regular life, like I'm probably going to get sort of um, understandably left behind by people, you know, who now don't really want to Zoom. They want to meet with live people. But I have been enjoying my relationships. (laughs) Yes. And I think that... um... It's been, it's been interesting to see how people have adapted to, to that. Like I've had lunch dates where I'm eating my little bowl of whatever and my friends on the computer eating her little bowl of whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And so we're having lunch together and it's not the same, but it's, it is a pleasant substitute. Yeah. Except when you can hear each other chewing. Right. <laughs> then maybe it's like, hold on, I have to turn away from my microphone. <laughs> Nothing crunchy, people. Nothing yeah. crunchy. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's been that's been nice. And I hope that people um like I, again, I, I totally get that. Like I cannot wait in, in Sweden. So again, we're, we're talking in May, um, in Sweden, my age group just became eligible to get a vaccine, uh, uh, to make an appointment to get a vaccine. And, um, on yesterday and at 10 30 in the morning, one of my Swedish friends was helping me navigate the website. Cause you know, I'm in Sweden, it's in Swedish. Um, and, uh, the whole oh. thing crashed. <laughs> yeah. So it's all just big white screen you know, error message something. And then like a minute later, she's like, okay, according to news outlet, 
something Swedish. She's like, um, the website just crashed. I'm like, yep, I'm looking at it because there were so many people on it. Um, and what was the point? See, sometimes I just like go off talking about things. I'm like, what was the point of that? Um, but uh, I, oh, because once I get a vaccine, then like, I'm going to be able to hug people, take the train to see, you know, I live in an area where people use public transportation, but we've been asked not to use it. So I, I haven't hugged. Okay. We have two people in our little pod, you know, a little safety group that gets together. But other than that, I haven't hugged my friends in over a year. And I, and I told one of them, I said, you know what? I miss you. And yes, if you want to, you know, get together in the square on a day that it's actually sunny and not raining and, and, you know, chat over a, a coffee outside, that will be great. But if I cry, it's because it's almost harder to be with you and not hug you than to just not be with you. So everybody's got, you know, their different ways of dealing with things, but as much as I will miss my friends who, you know, stop wanting to zoom from Australia or something, I'll be like, okay, I just have to go hug a real life person though. That'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I am, I'm now fully vaccinated. I'm more than, I'm, I think I'm three weeks out from my oh. last shot and it has, it, there is this, I'm, I'm still cautious, you know, because I, it's weird to just all of a sudden be able to do things. I imagine it will be. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but man, I feel so hopeful. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you know, it's just, just like, oh, it's a relief. And, and every time I see someone posting, and I know it's contentious here, but, um, whenever I see someone posting that they were able to get their vaccine, I feel another measure of hope and yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I can't remember exactly. See, I, I, I think I just took us off on a rabbit trail. You'll have to probably look at your notes again and say, where were we? How did we get here? But we were talking about support systems. Supports, but... right. Yeah. Yeah. Because in-person yeah. Zoom, Marco Polo. And also, don't you think that um, there's probably people who have found a kind of support that they didn't even have before that maybe they want to consider hanging on to it, still having Zoom meetings with people that they otherwise wouldn't be able to see? Absolutely. I mean, I, the in the Her Novel Collective, we've got someone from California, someone from Texas, um, New Orleans, you know, just people all over. Yeah. The closest one to me actually is five miles away, but oh, that's nice. Um, yes, it is nice. But, but otherwise I would never, I would never see these people. I would never hear their voices. Yeah. And, um, with my friend Jocelyn in Iowa, I, I wouldn't see her. And yeah. so it, it is nice to have the, the ability and, and now it's just a habit. It's just yeah. a practice of, of doing this with each other and for each other. Yeah. I have to say that when we're done, I'll be like, so you want to become Marco Polo friends? My phone's right here. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Oh. All right. So what else have you got on your list? What else did um, you learn that you can share? Well, you know, I've been. That's, oh, that's all right. Closing again. Okay. All right. Um, the next few are, are faster ones. So um, just, you know, keeping a schedule of when you need to be creative, when in the day you have time just to, to shut out the world and, and do your thing. Um, I found that 
on the days when I didn't set aside time, I didn't get to it. And so if I, if I wrote it down from this time to this time, I kept it. So I think that that's a good habit anyway. And part of that is to block things out. Um, you were talking about how, you know, do I just stop watching the news? Well, at some point I had to, I had to shut it all down. Um, I installed an app blocker that would block Facebook, Twitter, (laughs) all the news sites, everything, because there was so much every day there was breaking news and it was very seldom breaking news, but you know, they have to sell it. Yeah. And, and so, Oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? Um, and it would just, it got to the point where I couldn't, I could not focus because there was just so much noise. Yeah. Um, I, I use iFocus. It's an app I put on my app, Apple computer and you can get apps for your phone. And I literally, it, it tells me when I try to log into Facebook, it's like, no, <laughs> can you set it just for Don't certain times of the day? Like during your writing time or, ah, well, I, I go in and manually say for two hours, right. Lock it all. And then I turn on music, music that will get my fingers moving music yeah. that inspires me. Um, Mozart, WC, Chopin, um, Yo-Yo Ma, uh, yeah. anything by Yo-Yo Ma, <laughs> um, turn that on. And then, and in my mind, when I'm listening to that music, it's time to work. It is time. Yeah. So just setting myself up to do the work. It was that I is a practice that I'm continuing forever because it was such a good switch like turning on a light switch. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, just, just allowing yourself that time because this is the work you're supposed to be doing. This is the work you were made to do. This is the the work that only you can do. No yeah. one else can do it. It's, it's you. Um, and, and showing that you respect yourself enough to do it. Yeah. To follow through on the thing that you said was important to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's integrity, you know, having integrity and respecting yourself enough. I think. I love that. That's a great way of looking at Even it. Even when you don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> nice. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Cause there, there were days when I was, I was just like, I just, I can't, I can't, but I told myself I would. And my children would say, mom, you said you were going to do this. Oh, wow. Yep. Right. See, that's one of the things that you have that I think that you could actually, it sounds like you have used to your advantage that um, I don't have it. And so I could just ignore the possibility of it is um, you have some people that you're trying to be a good uh, role model to who are there in your house. (laughs) Well, my daughter, she's already written two and a half novels. She's 14. Oh my goodness. Um, I know. And, um, I have a son who loves photography. Um, another son who is just engineer. He's an engineer mind, which I, I admire and I don't understand. He's more like his dad, but, um, but they understand, you know, they grew up in a house with a novelist. That's all they know. Yeah. Um, and, and 
they are, they are amazing support. And my husband has been so good always, but especially in the last year of just saying, go, you know, go in the room. I will take the kids for a walk. I will take the kids, you know, to do such and such or whatever outside. Yeah. Um, and that, that is really helpful. And to know that, that they're rooting for me is really, it's sweet. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of the support too. I mean, um, groups, family members, friends, like whoever it is that, uh, that's a part of your life, like find the people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The people that will support you and tell you to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Who love you enough to say, all right, stop monkeying around and just get to it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few friends, um, you know, like over, over the last 30 years of moving around that, um, they love me. They, they do want what's best for me. They do want me to succeed in whatever, but, um, but they can't help themselves, but say, well, just play hooky today. And I'm like, okay, but the number of times that we have this conversation, it's just really hard for me to say no. And it's not actually helping that much. It would be better if they were like, do your words, like do all five days words in four days and let's play hooky on Friday or something that I'd be like, I love you. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, you know, I, when I was in high school, my, my sister is two years older than I am. Freshman and sophomore years, I was a terrible student because I would sit down to do homework and my sister would say, no, 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 let's go do something. Let's go. She's an extrovert, like extra extrovert. And oh no, watch a show with me, do this with me. And when she graduated and went to college, I went from like a two, eight to a four point. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's a great example though. Yeah. 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 She's, she still to this day, can get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> That's funny. But you know, I think that I think I like what you said about do the work and you know, like condense it so you can have some time off. Um, that that goes along to my next point too, is to see so you and I were just connected. You know, we have a mind meld going on here. <laughs> I do. I don't know how many miles away you are, but it's working. I like it. <laughs> All right, please. Geography. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's thousands, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, um, in, in our culture, we are rush, you know, rush, 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 rush. Um, at the beginning of the, in February last year, I looked at my calendar for the year and I, it was packed to the point where I didn't know how I was going to do everything because it was just so much family stuff, kids stuff, writing stuff, book tour, right. You know, everything. And then like that, everything was canceled. And I realized, Oh, I can rest. I can let my mind rest a little. Um, and, and just breathe. Um, I, I heard something about when Lin-Manuel Miranda was trying to come up with the next big idea and he couldn't think of anything. And he went on vacation with his family and just grabbed some biography to read sitting on the beach. His mind was at rest, just reading along and got the idea for Hamilton. <laughs> oh my goodness. And that, that, um, 
when we allow our minds to rest, yeah, it, it resets. Um, I think that in, in American culture, we're seen as weak if we need to rest. Yeah. But we have to. And, um, and during the past year, I, I was having a hard time sleeping. I was having a hard time sitting down to read a book. I was, I was so antsy. Um, and so I had to, I had to be intentional, rest, go for a walk. Like re- walking is restful for me or, um, you know, listen, like turn up the music and just allow your mind to go into the music or play a ridiculous game with your kids. Or, you know, we watched every Marvel movie. Yeah. All of them. Yes. Why not? Yeah. And so, but allowing my mind, allowing my body, allowing myself to just kind of relax a little bit, Mm -hmm. it fed the creative process. Yeah. And, and I was eager to get back to work. If when we run ourselves ragged, we can't do the work. We just can't. Yeah, it's totally true. And there's so much science now that's backing up that um, back in the day when uh, daydreaming was not so bad, it's like, oh, you naughty kid, you're, you're daydreaming instead of paying attention in school. But it seems like daydreaming has been like bred out of us or knocked out of us or uh, like that is um, an incredible waste of time, whatever. And now science is showing, yeah, not so much. It actually is one of the only times that you can think up new ideas and yeah. I, I had the great advantage of being raised by a novelist and an artist. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, um, they, they both allowed and encouraged daydreaming, um, and, and reading luxuriously and, and spending time outside and, you know, all of these things that allow our brains just to to go on autopilot kind of, and just do its thing, um, instead of us forcing it. So I, I had, I mean, I know I'm unique in that having art artsy parents who were all about, you know, why would you want a reasonable job? (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, but, and, and it's nice to have parents who get me, (laughs) No but, um, but just, I, and I, I love seeing that my kids can do that too, that can just kind of let loose and be creative in their artwork and their writing and whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, and and I even think the I, engineering, I mean, that's also a creative endeavor. And if he never had time is. to just sit and stare out at the clouds, he wouldn't come up with new ideas. Yeah. And he said that he loves being creative in that way. And nice. I, I loved that he recognized that, okay, so we're all creative. It's not just the artistic people who are creative. Yeah. Um, mathematicians are creative in how they use numbers and how they see shape. Um, uh, you know, people who, who do landscaping are creative in where they put a flower, you know, which is amazing work. Yeah. I, I, we all are creative, but at some point we're told that there's a section of us that are and a section of us that aren't. Yeah. And that's false. That's, that's false. We are all creative and, um, and we all need to allow that to, to marinate, you know, because that's who we are. And it's, it's what makes all of us unique. 
Yeah. And it, it's exciting to me. And so I, I tried really hard to remind myself. And that's why we, we went on a lot of walks. Um, we were still able to go for a lot of walks and go hiking and nothing filled my soul so much as getting outside, finding a crazy looking bird to try and figure out what it was, you know, smelling some flowers, you know, meandering. It's so good for us. I love it. That's great. And a lot of people are in a season right now that, um, that they can, you know, enjoy the weather. I mean, in places where it's going to get hot, it's not horribly hot yet. And in places where it's going to get cold, it's not horribly cold yet. So we, we did go on a lot of really cold walks this winter. Yeah. (laughs) But I was like, I need to get out. I need to, I don't care. I bought my, I ordered like the best winter coat I've ever had. Cause I was like, I'm going to be living in this thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We have some, um, I, I think here they call them rain pants, but I realized that they're good for rain, wind and cold. They're, they're kind of like, um, snow pants, you know, from Michigan, you and I are both from Michigan, um, only without as much of that, uh, like quilted interior. So you pull them up on over your jeans and it's, and it's quite windy here. Um, and all of a sudden, instead of not being able to feel your legs, you're like, well, let's walk further. And I'm like, this is great. And I did the same thing. I was like, I don't care if it's raining. I don't care if it's cold. I've just got to get some fresh air. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Let, and it's so valuable. I need to look into getting some of those pants because snow pants are a little too thick. Yeah. They can be too warm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Check them out. Yeah. And like (laughs) you, like the kid in a Christmas story, who's just like, exactly. Randy. Randy. (laughs) Um, the last thing is, um, it goes back to that, the point about cynicism and, um, just reminding yourself, it's not always going to be like this. Like it's going to get better. It will, it will, something's going to happen. I don't know what, I don't know how, but, but, you know, look for that silver lining. Um, because for me, and I think for you, since you write (laughs) rom-com cynicism, it, it, it stifles your soul. It suffocates you. Um, but hope is what buoys you. It, it brings you back to the surface. Hope is what points out that there's a, look, the sky is blue today. You know, um, looking for those little things that can, can reinvigorate your optimism. Um, because when I, was wa- when I would watch the news, I would just think, this is just going to get worse and worse Yeah, of many different situations. And I'm not just talking about during the pandemic. I'm not just talking about the contentious political climate. Like you can look at any time in history and just be like, Oh, I, yeah. I see no hope. Yeah. Sometimes you have to go looking for it and you have to dig it up Yeah, because it's there. And, um, and when I read a book or I watch a film, or I look at a piece of art or listen to music and there is even just a sliver of hope to me that it does something to my spirit. It does something to my soul. Um, 
And when you're able to find that and delve into it and, and just grab onto hope and hold onto it with all you've got, yeah. then what you are doing creatively is making the world a better place. Yes. Yes. And honestly, I completely believe this is true. No matter your genre, no matter what it is that you're working on, whatever it is that is your genre that you just feel, you know, called to like your spirit wants to write this all the time. I have a friend who, um, uh, who makes horror movies and, um, he's actually, um, uh, moved up in the world and has made some really big movies that aren't horror movies as well. But when, when he started out, he was making all these horror, horror movies and, um, and he happens to be a Christian. And of course the, the movies weren't Christian movies. <laughs> I don't know if that exists, a Christian horror movie, probably anyway. Um, but he was saying that, that he liked the idea of, um, making people feel like there was something out there scary enough that they should be looking for a way to avoid it. And so it was his feeling that he was kind of uh, hopefully leading people to God by by scaring them into believing that like there there is a boogeyman out there and he does kind of want to get you. <laughs> and I was like, what yeah. an interesting premise. And he was really good at it too. And of course, um, you know, I'm sure that there is a certain amount of his success that he feels is just from being a hard worker and doing what he did really well. And then somebody gave him something else and he did that really well. And I mean, that's, that's kind of how I feel about um, like, no matter your genre. And there are some genres where I was like, oh, I wish people wouldn't put this out into the world because I see no good to come from it. But I try to keep it to myself because I don't know, maybe there is some good that comes from some genres that I'm you know, don't, don't see as having anything in them. But the fact is, is that I, sorry, you really hit a button for me because I really do believe that books and stories of all kinds, they, they change the world. And I think that they can change the world to make it a better place or a worse place. And, you know, I think probably lots of books, maybe um, it's the wrong book for this person and it made their life a little bit worse, maybe, but it's the perfect book for this person made their life a little bit better. So I just think you really need to definitely you know, like be in touch with who you are, the story you're trying to tell, and absolutely believe that it could change, even if it changed someone's world, not the entire world. Like, isn't that worthwhile? Yes, it is. And, and when one person is changed, the ramifications are huge. Yeah. You know, it, it's, we are, we are more connected now than ever. And, um, it's just, and if, if nothing else, all of us getting stuck inside in this global pandemic in the whole world, um, having to deal with this, all of us, um, it shows us that the actions of one person, they make a difference for everyone in a, some way, shape yeah. or form. So if, if one person reads your book, even if it's just your mom, um, and, and she thinks, oh, and sees the world differently or is encouraged by it or, or anything Yeah, that can make a difference for the people in her circle and, and following through, it yeah. really can make a big difference. There were a lot of books given away last year. There's always a lot of books given away to, um, I have no idea in other countries, but American service people, um, you know, to give them something to, you know, 
there, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with fiction as a form of, ex of escapism. Um, and if you've got a tough job, I think that you deserve it. And I know that a lot of authors were giving books away to healthcare workers last year. I mean, they had still have a pretty tough job. Uh, and I thought, you know, that is brilliant because I've had a health care worker tell me before, you know, thank goodness for the book with the happy ending that I can read after I've had a bad day and a patient dies. And I'm thinking, all right, I never thought of that, you know, because I don't work in that industry. It never occurred to me like that would be a really rough day. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, it, all it takes is just getting one message from a reader that says, I don't feel so alone or yeah. you made me laugh or, yes. you know, you made me, you were, you gave me something to think about that was different, you know, or any of the, any number of things. Yeah. I, I think there is a place for, for books of all kinds. And, um, and there's a readership for them. There are people who need them. And, you know, I think, I think that what we do is so important and, and sometimes it doesn't feel important because <laughs> we're sitting in a car, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Just, you know, <laughs> but, but it is important. It does yeah. make a difference. It does. And with the nature of small birds, there's a really good chance that this will be a book that you get a lot of reader feedback from people who either uh, adopted children during the Vietnam airlift or who are adults now who have found or decided to look for family. I mean, this could be a really meaningful book to a, a segment of readers. I hope so. Um, I've already heard um, from one woman who was adopted from the baby lift and we're, we've, we've only had a few just small interactions so far, but, um, I, I've really appreciated having that connection with her. And I hope that, that we can just, you know, continue that on. And I've also talked to friends who were adopted, um, either transracially or internationally and, um, and friends who have adopted kids from a different race or a different country. And just, um, I, I hope that it's an encouragement to them. I hope that they see some of themselves in it. Um, I, I was very happy to write a story about a family that, that was loving and accepting and supportive. Um, I know that's not always the case. And that grieves my heart. It makes me very sad. Um, but I, I do hope that the story is, is a gift yeah. to them. Oh, that's beautiful. And so while, while you were writing this, and particularly, I mean, that's, that's the story, not only the three timelines, that I think you said you didn't entirely anticipate writing three timelines. <laughs> No, yeah. I, you know, it, originally it was supposed to just all be in 1975 yeah. and a good portion of the first efforts were all set in 1975. And then I realized I couldn't capture the whole story in such a small amount of time. It needed to be, it, it adoption is a lifetime story. It's yeah. a story that spans the decades. And so I wanted to represent that. Nice. And so with um, three timelines, um, a story that's based in some, uh, some real life, uh, you know, real news, things that I can't think of how to say it, you know, things that really happened. Um, 
and just the the emotional turmoil you know that's woven through um plus you always have a way of um bringing everybody together and you know helping helping your characters to to find ways to you know continue being being family which is wonderful uh, i would guess that um these these tips that you've given us for writing during difficult circumstances were some things that you maybe already sort of knew sort of had in your mind but had to, to use more of and other things that you just learned through the last year as you went yeah you know i think some of these things i knew in theory before <laughs> <laughs> but i didn't need them as much yeah you know when you've got seven hours a day to write you've got more wiggle room yeah <laughs> but even now that the kids are back in school and um things are getting back to normal. It's been hard to readjust. It's been hard right. for me to, to get back to how things were before, but, but I need to be nice to myself and say, it's all right. Yeah. It's okay. I think that's always a great first start. Cause if you can give yourself some grace and it's one of those things that I think sort of like, um, daydreaming helps creativity. I honestly, for me, I found that the more I can give myself some grace, the easier it is to kind of get out of the slog and figure, you know, get my eyes above the mud and go, okay, this is, this is what I need to do next. Yes, exactly that. Cause if you keep pushing your head down under the mud, you're never going to get back out. Yeah, it's really hard to see. And, you know, mud's kind of sticky and it kind of sucks you down, if, especially if you keep forcing something into it all the time. It's true. You know, I used to, in my first drafts, I used to write dummy. Like I call myself mean names. Oh, no. Like I'd write it down. Like, so when I was editing, I'd be like, what are you thinking? You know? Yeah. And I would never say that to somebody else. Right. So I've, instead, I've said, try this instead, or maybe not that. Or think about this later instead, you know, trying to, to reframe even how I talk to myself within the document. Yeah. 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 As, as if you were, um, you said your daughter is a novelist as well. Like, would you say that to your daughter? Of course not. So don't say it to yourself. <laughs> no, I would probably just, oh, it's brilliant. You're amazing. You know, I, just, I am, I will say I am, I am like over abundantly proud of, of her <laughs> like for because nobody's making her write a novel you yeah. know she's she just loves it oh that's awesome yeah. yeah I've got really good kids yeah it sounds like it maybe I'll borrow them from a day <laughs> they'd love to they love traveling yeah <laughs> and we haven't been able to do much <laughs> right yeah I, I pretty much decided that um, i'm just going to assume i'm having another staycation um which actually turned out well because um our little pod i i said something a few weeks ago i'm like is it weird to think that just because we can have you know breakfast together and breakfast became breakfast through dinner after a few months uh every other week like do you think that we could actually hang out together for seven days and everybody was like, oh, that's an idea. We should think about it. And I thought, oh man, I hope this doesn't turn out to be one of those horrible things where it's like, we used to have friends and then we went on vacation with them and now we don't have friends, you know? <laughs> but um, we're so excited because, um, you know, right this second, we can't really leave Sweden. Um, but now I'm gonna see another part of Sweden and we just gonna get in the, the one friend's car and we're gonna drive there with their dog and four adults and, 
Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. An island in the, in the ocean. It's not called the ocean. It's the sea on the East coast of Sweden. I, I so I have to say like, I, <laughs> um, taking this totally out of context and not related to other people's horrible heartbreak. Um, I have really been having a good year during this pandemic. I've been doing things and seeing things. And like you said, being more relaxed than I've been in forever, because like you, I do a ton of things and I, I travel and go places to, to participate in things or to host things or whatever. And I'm like, I don't remember feeling this relaxed in a really long time. You know, I think that, <clears throat> it's a, it's an exercise of finding that silver lining, you know, yeah. I really do. And, um, saying I found the good in the midst of the adversity. I don't think that that's diminishing someone else's horrifying experience. It's, it's saying I, I had to, I had to look for the good. Yeah. Um, yeah. and and I think that that's something that, that as humans, we are created to be resilient and part of resilience is, is being able to reach for the good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because if we couldn't, then how would we, um, how would we give a hand up to the people who had the horrifying thing happen? Like yeah, who, who could we be if we, Yeah like I just want to love on them and hug them and make them laugh. I want to write some romantic comedies to give to them so that they can forget for a few hours. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I've, I've had some friends I had, one of my good friends is a physician and she and her husband were on the COVID wards. Oh, wow. This whole year. And oh. so just the, you know, the things that they've seen and I've had friends lose, family members. I, I had some, I've, I think one of our, my college friends passed away from it and it just, it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah. But if we live in the horror of things all the time. Yeah. Then it's like survive. a dystopian. Yeah. Then it's a dystopian movie and they hardly <laughs> ever end well. <laughs> oh um, no, no. You know? Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. it, you can't, um, I was watching something. This isn't really an aside. It's just that uh, it probably is going to sound like it for a second. So I was watching um, something on TV, you know, Netflix or HBO or whatever. And, um, and, and there was this, there was just the, the, this weird time travel thing. Like we couldn't figure out what was going on, but the person said something in the future that I was like, oh my gosh, this is what we need to be. When she ended up going back to the past, um, what I heard, uh, even though it wasn't exactly what she said, but I heard we have to um, believe in and create the future that we want. I mean, we have to change it. Um, we have to make the future the future we want, not the future that uh, policymakers are saying that we're going to have or the ones that scientists are saying we're going to have if we don't change. We need to create the future that we want it to be. And um, I know there's a lot of idealism in there, but I don't think that idealism uh, is as powerless as people make it sound. I, I think that there's something about it that if you didn't have people pushing towards, you know, there's the, the teenager Greta, I forget her last name, who's just from over here in Stockholm. You know, she made a worldwide impact by refusing <clears throat> to go to school until politicians listened to her, her talk about, you know, global warming. I'm like, 
holy cow. So we can change the future. And anyway, I'm going to get off that horse again too, because I just really, really, really do believe that what we say and what we think and what we feel, all these things come together, they come into our writing. And I think that it's important to understand what it is that we are saying or what people are hearing and what we're saying. And that it is, I would just like everybody to be you know, thinking, how can this positively impact someone's life? You know, maybe something that you wrote, give someone an idea and they go off and do something and somehow, you know, like 17 iterations later, you, you know, you could find out a hundred years from now that that person read this thing in your book that gave them an idea. And now like the future is a better place. I'm, I'm such a wiener when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> See, there it is no, me calling myself good. a name, but I, yeah, I'm not a wiener. <laughs> I really no. do believe it. Yeah. I think that, um, as an idealistic person, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of idealistic people in our past who are now, you know, famous for something that they did. Some yeah, change that so. they made. Yeah. Yeah. Believing Susie, that the world is worth it. Yeah. This has been such a joy talking to you. You're so you encouraging. Too. Oh, thank you. Oh. You are, you are like sunshine. You are sunshine. Uh, I love that. Thank you. My mom used to always call me that when I was yeah. a little kid. <laughs> well, it is very, very you. Um, and I say that as a person who lives in a place that is gloomy for six months, <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I so appreciate you sitting down and really thinking about what tips can you give people? Because we don't know, um, you know, what other people might still be going through or some other totally different thing that is a hard time for them. Uh, and now, you know, they've got some tools that they can put in their toolbox for when they need them. I hope so. Yay. Well, listen, I hope that people are really curious about um, you and your books and they want to know more. So where can people find you in your books? You know, they can find any of my books on Amazon, bakerbookhouse.com. Um, they can find out more about me on my website, just susiefinkbinder.com. Even if you can't spell Finkbinder, you'll find me eventually. Um, <laughs> There'll be a link in the show I'm, notes. <laughs> oh, good. You're so smart. <laughs> Um, Instagram is a good place to find me, um, for goofy cat pictures, you know, things like that, <laughs> catch nice. up with what I've been reading. Um, and also I'm, I'm over at her novel collective often with a lot of my other writing friends who are fantastic writers. So nice. if you like books head over there. Okay. And is that a Facebook group or a website? It's a Facebook group. Okay. Yeah. So go to Facebook yeah. and Google, or sorry, a search for her novel collective. Yes. All and right. um, our purpose there is to cut through the noise of like everything else and just talk about books. Nice. <laughs> nice. I mean, who doesn't love that? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great positive affirming community. Oh, that's perfect. That's my kind of place. <laughs> I'm going to have to check it out. Oh, thank you Please so do. much for taking the time. We really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, for having a, a happy, encouraging place for creatives and writers.